The Treasure of the Ancient King Part 1 The Forgotten Prince Chapter 9 Even my singular expertise had not prepared me for this moment. As his crooked fingers unravelled, a faint blue aura filled the room. It would have hardly been perceptible if it were not for the fact that it was late and we were now in the deepest darkness of the night. Tottering on the wizard's palm, was a polyhedron of innumerable facets, a large crystal of perfect spherical proportion. Its surface gave the impression of snowflakes, and it was the size of a flog ball, as if the icy jewel had been precipitated for a thousand years among the perpetual clouds of Mount Ubus. It is conceivable, dear reader, that in your homeland such artefacts are commonplace and a matter of no more consequence than a copper hammer or a yo-yo. But in Ibernia, my homeland, the average bumpkin that frequents his local tavern may espy such an item only once in his lifetime, if that. That isn't to say that magical items are not common here. Moreover, for them to have a faint glow is also not unknown. But the sheer craftsmanship exhibited in this item's physical construction pervaded a mystical quality even to unschooled eyes. And so, for those guests of the tavern who had not already left for their beds, the small white ball was a source of instant fascination. I recognised at once the tell-tale marks of the ancient vitriographers. Heavens, had I not spent my years studying the angel classes in the hope of one day chancing upon one of their pieces, scattered as they were in time gone by? A lost earring, maybe. A toe stud, garnered by an unwitting dwarf, plausibly. Such an item could win a king's ransom if promised to the right collector when delivered, with security. But a royal pearl! Those gawping imbeciles stood oblivious of their peril in the presence of such a gem. Yes, indeed, for if they knew any better, they would run a hundred miles to be rid of its glow. Why? because of the fact that it is items of such incalculable worth that invite the interests of dangerous powers, not least of them, wandering dragons. Cheekily, I lifted the stone out of the wizard's hand. So, this is the Pearl of Wisdom, said I. It felt cool and hard, and despite its appearance, perfectly smooth. Well, I never! I betrayed but a pinch of my terror in the tone of my voice. But it had to be done. I might have never seen it again. Next, as a matter of instinct, I scraped it with the ruby that I wore around my index finger, and it left my prized jewellery looking decidedly like a grazed knee. There's no doubt about it, I deduced. It's the real deal. Only angel class could leave a mark like that. I'll take that back, said the wizard 
sliding it back out of my hand and into a leather pouch. I took a sharp breath and giggled. Pathinia and Rabrin were suitably stunned, but Rabrin was the first to awake from his stupor. What did I tell you? Rabrin announced victoriously. Tis the very jewel of wisdom itself. I wasn't making it all up, see? Maybe, said Pathinia, who was not one to let the point slide. Yet I still fail to see the link between that gem and your tail, she said. This smells of a setup. What says you didn't hear the gem was here, and then you concocted the story retrospectively? The wizard finally piped up to explain himself. I admire the tenacity of your convictions, young lady, but you are quite wrong. I have not been in collusion with this knight of the realm, as you well know. The idea that I am some kind of viper oil salesman is quite a preposterous one, given my possession of such an item, verified as it has been by our merchant friend, Os Baldwick. The old man continued. In fact, much the more tenable proposition is that I chanced upon this meeting and by coincidence heard a story which happens to overlap with some of my own experiences. It's a likelihood made all the stronger by these two considerations, he explained reverently. One, that happy coincidences appear to follow the pearl closely. Two, that the coincidences that follow the treasures of the ancient king are not really coincidences at all. Yes, for you see, Rabron was quite correct when he outlined how the pearl has the curious property of leading its wearer to experience expeditions of incredible revelations. The wizard concluded, Of course, it's not called the Pearl of Wisdom for nothing. Interesting, replied Parthenia, and she took a moment to sit down, clearly still flabbergasted, and quite past her best as an investigator for the prosecution. And, she managed to say, what are your experiences? The question seemed to dwell with her after she had asked it, hovering in her mind for a moment or two. As a matter of fact, she began again, yes, indeed. Won't you tell us this humble sorcerer? She asked, frowning deeply and staring at him again. What particular expedition was it? And I mean, what expedition was it? that brought you to our inn in Rilliptown on just such a night as this. Ah, paused the wizard, realising he had now become the centre of everyone's attention and was thoroughly exposed. I believe we have had enough tales tonight. And discretion dictates that I can't, he paused, hang around, so to speak. The anticlimax was palpable, and so the wizard continued briefly to fill in the gap. It will suffice to say that the pearl was delivered to me by a close and trusted ally, with some scant information as to the prince's involvement with it. I must thank you, Sir Moibre. Your perspective on the matter has been most enlightening. It's been a pleasure, Your Honour, said Rabrin, bowing. The wizard returned the bow and began moving hastily towards the door. The pleasure is all mine, sire, but I must be on my way, he mumbled. Then suddenly, seeming to receive a nod from someone in the doorway, he stopped in his tracks and turned back to the knight, somehow induced to make one further comment. Oh, uh, just before I go, I do have one last question, actually for you, Rabron, he said. 
Aye, of course, the old soldier replied. Sir Rabrin, what is your opinion of Prince Brianet? asked the wizard. Even in all this sudden commotion, the wizard's ongoing curiosity towards Rabrin was still beaming out from between his knobbly temples. I mean to say, he said hesitantly, your opinion as it is you having served by his side for that short period, he asked the old knight. Rabrin had to steady himself to cast his mind back to the tale and its protagonist. Well, okay, the prince himself, he muttered, then took a deep breath to prepare his answer. Ah, putting his personal weaknesses aside, he couldn't think to question his character. You are a jolly fine gentleman, if a bit of a daydreamer. Certainly, that's to say. Although he stuttered, Rabrin's features began to soften and war, his mind again connecting with the emotional heartbeat of his tale, the yearning for better times. Was it a bond of honour? One forged between fellow knights? One which stirred his heart and was glistening under his eyes? In fact, I'd rate him among the finest characters I ever should have had the honour to serve under. Mercifully, the old soldier kept the waver in his voice to a minimum and preserved a dignified elegy for his hero. As a friend, he was as kind and dutiful as one could hope. As a commander, he served us with true nerve. As a king, he would have been majestic, an inspiration to our nation. Gladly, I'd have died in his service, could it have been so. Hmm, I thought as much, said the wizard, patting Rabarin on the shoulder, then stooping in thoughtfulness as he parted from his side. Suddenly, I became aware that the room was empty, all except for Rabarin, the wizard. Parthenia myself, and one other figure. The extra person was waiting by the door and wearing a hood. Everyone else had left for bed. Even the landlord had turned in for the night, somewhat trustingly. I sensed the power of magic at work. I realise, said the wizard, that I must now divulge certain information in order to explicate my heightened interest. First, you deserve to know my name. It is as Karkwith Brown, and I am a potion toxicologist and wizard of the Second Order, he revealed. Second, I cannot avoid the fact that when discussing matters of the ancient treasures of Lord Grafalda, we must walk on the floors of trepidity. Perhaps you will have appreciated the subtle enchantment I have placed upon this room that has allowed us to discuss these matters further, in confidence. In these local cantons, far from the central districts, news filters down so very slowly, and the motion of the state meanders unhurried from town hall to farmhouse, so much so that hearsay about royal matters can be safely ignored until several months hence, narrated the wizard, his address accelerating in intensity. But please, hear it now, and hear it from the mouth whose ear has been hovering at the perimeter of the Senate offices. He paused for effect. King Agat is approaching his dying breath, if he is not already dead. He said this, while checking over his shoulder distrustfully. I am guarded in my assertion, for I know that his trusted counsellors will delay the announcement of the event as long as possible. He began speaking very quickly. To stem the brunt of instability it will unleash, but if the inevitable can be softened, it will not be waylaid. The final strand in the royal hegemony 
is due to snap, and the powers that would come to replace it will eventually assert their claims to the sovereignty. I have little time to discuss how the great houses may respond, whether of the noble to maintain democracy, or the unscrupulous bargaining to undermine it. It would be folly to forecast the outcome of such things. His eyes drifted to the mysterious accomplice standing in the doorway. He seemed to be receiving a message. They were likely indicating that he should cut the chase, so to speak. Yes, of course, he seemed to respond, turning his address to the rest of us. At the end of it, however, there will be no king when Agat relinquishes his throne to death and no executive to mediate the will of the people. His wife is long barren and his son, Prince Brianet, indeed, the forgotten prince himself, is missing and presumed dead. This is incredible, Parthenia exclaimed from her seat. She may have lost her swagger, but none of her perception. The king is dead, and the royal pearl just happens to drop into your hands. The wizard took care not to answer her deadbeat interrogation directly. Now you mention it, I must warn you that any comment of royal pearl this or ancient glass that in public will likely get you arrested for questioning, even in these parts, I'll guess. He made brief pause for breath. And by authorities benevolent as well as malign. And for good reason. Any baron worth his salt would give his leg for a bona fide artifact of the ancient kingdom in the oncoming tempest. You'll remember that these items were promised to lead their wearers on a course towards a role in the monarchy. On that note, Sir Abron, I don't recommend you continue to recount your tale as a party pleaser any longer, advised the wizard. Rabron nodded and sat down next to Parthenia. As the wizard's explanations unfolded, I felt the need to sit down as well. My body assumed the reflective demeanour instinctively. I am an accountant by nature, and when an opportunity arises, my mind automatically begins to calculate the costs and the benefits. For there was certainly an opportunity being presented, and it was only a matter of time before it was to be advertised as such by the wizard. He was starting to talk with the tone and mood of his friend the knight, warming us to his plight. But the ultimate intention went further than gaining our pity. I could tell. It was the consideration of all these unseen remunerations, and the weighing of them against the considerable liabilities in tow, which caused me to be bent over on my stool in thought. From my source on the pearl, as Carkwith the wizard went on, it hasn't taken us too long to tie down the last known location of the prince. His pursuit is what brings us to this locality, and it is what has caused us to chance upon this homely inn. We must be some forty miles from the village where Brianet was last reported, if my triangulations are correct. And why have you not sought help elsewhere? I said, finally roused from my calculations. Ah, said the wizard, sighing to himself. The nub of the point had been uncovered. You are right to ask. As you notice, I travel alone, except for my loyal assistant, who you may have noticed has been waiting by the door. Only Rabrin needed to look again to see that the slender, hooded figure was still resting calmly on the doorpiece. Either his eyesight really had deteriorated, or he had lost all track of time and space. Good evening, said Rabrin to the character, absent-mindedly. As Carkwith continued, I must admit that I am not without friends of means. However, I must also be frank, from the very mention of the prince's name in the matter, it has been clear that the principle of absolute secrecy must be employed. 
our journey has been in haste, and we have had no time to assemble a party. I cannot risk going back. What is sure is that dangers lie ahead and mystery. Rewards await, treasures untold, a royal grant if things pan out well, he said. Then again, perhaps death. I shall be in need of men and women, of strength and cunning, a team to master weeks in open country, to camp and forage food, weapons to dispel foes, herbs and skills to heal wounds. In short, I am on a quest, and I have no quest makers. The deal was presented, and now we were all on our feet again. This excerpt was read by D.A. Clark, the author of the piece. Please note that this is a draft and as such does not represent the quality of the final version. If you would like to find more excerpts, please visit anchor.fm forward slash David 908.